probably know by now that I love a good story, especially when it's a God story. Some stories awaken our emotions and expose rawness we've tried to protect, but when God is in it, we can trust exposure is for our healing. To take the sting out of our wounds and set us free from hurt, we can also trust that if God is in the story, it is always to bring about good for us, in us, and through us. This episode is such a story. Friends, I'm your host, Jody Caracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. Before I introduce my guest, I encourage you to take a moment to like or follow this podcast on your favorite streaming platform so you won't miss any encouraging episodes. In Galatians 5, verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul tells the Galatian church, You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. You see, the Christians in Galatia were on the right track, but then got confused by some false teaching and the pressures of the world. So they ended up in bondage to the law and to sin. Paul was reminding them that God called them and provided them with freedom. My guest, Angela Haydell, has had a similar journey. An outgoing, joyful woman of God, Angela works as a corporate executive assistant and serves through her church as God opens the doors. Mother of a young adult, she's experienced the goodness of God in many, many ways. She has a passion to see people walking free in their relationship with the Lord. Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much for having me today. Angela, being the daughter of a pastor, you grew up hearing and experiencing the things of God. Tell us a little about your early years and when you personally made a decision to follow Jesus. So I was born into a home um, of, a, of a minister. He was once traveling and then he got married to my mother and they uh, were, were assisting in churches. And one day when I was probably about one and a half years old, they got a phone call from uh, David Wilkerson and said, there's a church in Houston that needs your help. They are being overrun by all these hippies. And um, I believe God is telling you to go down there. Long story short, they finally made it. And we were plopped into the middle of the Jesus movement. We had kids with long hairs, no shoes. Um, it was wild and crazy, but yet there was a sense of godly uh, orderliness to it all. So I was two years old through about seven, and those were my formative years of seeing God do and hearing about God doing miraculous things while still playing dollhouse and, you know, dress up and all that. So my very, I would say my, I broke my teeth on the pews and was just involved in that presence of, of God so heavily back in the seventies. And then from there, um, we moved to um, East Texas and was involved in another ministry that was just incredible with all these young people getting saved and discipled. And um, I was right there in the middle of it all and just have such incredible memories of seeing God provide for my family, not even knowing that we needed to provision, just always knowing God was there and never had a thought of not serving God, never have had a thought of God not being in my life or you know, just, he was there. He was just another part of the family. It was like, we were all in the family. <laughs> and so, um, from there we moved quite a bit. And during my young years, every, about every two years, which can be difficult for a highly outgoing person who loves to make friendships. And, um, 
And then I would say when I was probably in between my fifth and sixth grade year, we were living in California and the uh, speaker of the church camp I went to said, you know, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. If you haven't done that yet, he doesn't live there. And I was like, whoa, I want Jesus living there. So I talked to my uh, camp counselor and she led me, you know, into the prayer of accepting Jesus into my life and then went back home to my home church and got baptized. And so I just never thought of living any other way than with God. I never knew I was different as being a preacher's daughter. I just, you know, was friendly with everybody. And then junior high hit. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, as many of us experience, your teenage years and even into your 20s were rough as you began to search for identity and significance and acceptance. And there was a tug of war going on inside you. Absolutely. You were serving in the church. You were seeking friends and relationships. Share about that time period and really where it took you. So we moved from California. I was very um, protected, if you will, because um, we I went to a Christian school. My dad was the principal. I knew everybody. And then we moved back to Texas and I was plopped into a public school and had never heard language like I heard, drugs being talked about. And immediately I felt extremely insecure. I wasn't going to the parties or to the dances or you know, hanging out with the popular crowd, then I was less than. And so it began this, as we all, you know, especially women, uh, young girls, we just think, oh, well, what we see in the teen magazine is what we have to have in our life. And my life was very much not like a teen magazine because my family was, you know, we were, um, I call us pioneers. We were on the front, the front lines of you know, in the 80s, uh, there was such a fight between God and country and um, those that wanted to come in and change. And so I saw my dad, he was very popular on the radio, our family, everybody quote knew us, but yet I felt so unknown. And so I began to, um, instead of going to the Lord, and you know, in, in, in James, it says, for we are to humble ourselves, which means we are you know, feeling very insignificant, humble ourselves in his presence, and then he will lift you up and he will give you your significance. Well, you would think I would know that being in the environment that I lived in, but I didn't. It was not just automatic because my dad was who he was or my mom was who she was. It was incumbent upon me to make the choices and I was not making good choices. We were moving a lot. There was a lot of change and um, I just began to grasp for, you know, who am I um, in this? And I was looking to boys, you know, I was so boy crazy because if I got a boy to like me, then I would feel okay. Or if I, if, if someone said I was pretty, then I felt okay. But I was so um, caught up in pleasing everybody. And they call it in the church world, a man pleasing spirit. It was basically my drive to be approved by everybody was overwhelming and suffocating. And um, I began to change who I was to fit in with the crowd because I felt, well, if I can do this, I mean, even to the point where a friend of mine, she was very popular. She didn't like, I I think it was lemons. And I'm like, well, I don't like lemons either. 
you know? And I'm like, well, that's dumb. Of course I like lemons, you know? But I mean, that's how crazy it was. And I would not even leave the house until I looked around my mirror 360, a hundred times to make sure everything was in place because I didn't want to be made fun of. And I didn't want to be thought of less than, and I didn't want to be thought of not having it together. And it ruled my life. And in the midst of all this, I was doing incredible ministries. I got to do inner city ministries. I've witnessed to drug addicts. I've witnessed to the pimps and the prostitutes and loved on their kids. And um, God gave me real boldness. But yet in the same time, I was this this conflicted, you know, needed to have a man in my life, you know. And I remember one time I was just crying out to God as we do in our teens, you know. God, I want a boyfriend. I want... And I was like, God cut through all the noise. And he said, if I give you that, you will make him your God. And I was like, but I still want one, you know. Sort of like the children of Israel saying, I want a king, I want a king, I want a king, you know. And um, so I was able to do all these incredible ministries and, you know, um, led some kids to the Lord and influenced. But yet inside I was struggling. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? But I say, you know, if God can use a donkey like he did in the Bible, then he can use anybody, you know. So I just was trying to find out who I was. And, um, you know, maybe if I met somebody and got married, all my problems would be fixed. And so I had the Cinderella syndrome, as they say. And I wanted to be in ministry and doing things along with my potential husband and, you know, kicking the devil's butt and all that. That's what I wanted to do. But I couldn't, there was no one, I could find no one that had that same passion. And that was my type, <laughs> I should say. And, um, uh, so I just, it was just, it was just the struggle of the struggle. And what I failed to realize what it's not what I do or how, who I know, because I knew a lot of people with my dad and ministry and getting, you know, oh gosh, I just met so many people over the years, big names of ministries and ministers. And I was on a children's album and, you know, all these things that are, that these opportunities that came, it's not about all those things. It's in who you serve and you either serve you know, it's very black and white. It's either the devil or it's God, period. And I rode the middle for a very long time. My dad said, you'll rip your britches if you ride the fence. And that's so true. Yeah, it's painful being on the fence, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So eventually you did meet who you thought was Mr. Prince Charming in ministry. Sure about that. He was a great guy, uh, much younger than me. Um, Y2K was about to happen. And I was about, I, I was 30 and I was like, I have got to find me a husband. I am an old spinster. I went to Southwestern, some music God. I did not get my MRS degree there. I have been in YWAM. I've done, uh, I've been, you know, almost all over the world. And I'm like, where are the mid, you know? So I found somebody and tried to put that person in my mold of who I thought um, I should be marrying. Again, trying to think, oh, if I meet him, all my needs will be met. We'll be serving the Lord together and everything's going to be hunky-dory. And I'm going to have this new family and all of the, uh, you know, the family issues that everyone has. Oh, it's going to be different over here, you know. And actually I was going, I really jumped into the the fire because I made, I forced and I made what you would say would, would be an, an Ishmael. You know, I thought, well, God needs some help, so I'm going to help him. So you got married and, you know, obviously you're saying it didn't meet all those needs that you no. really thought that it would. 
It's a magnifying glass. It, it exposes right. everything. <laughs> right. And there was great heartache ahead. Yeah. But in the midst of all of that, you know, just like God, he reaches in and shows us his goodness in the middle of our mess. Yes. It's so true. You know, I always say, I've always told people, they're like, how, and you'll, as you hear my story, you'll understand why they ask this question. How are you still serving God after all that's happened to you? I just know that God is so gracious. And I don't even know, because I would have given up on me a long time ago. I would have gone, eh, you're out of here. Let's go to the next, you know, but God is so gracious and he is so um, all knowing. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. And he's so, he's so full of wisdom. He is wisdom. And he knew that my heart was always for God. I just didn't always make the right decisions because I let my feelings get ahead of me and my life. And so I went through infertility. We had a miscarriage. Um, I still felt like I was going to be expecting. It was, I miscarried on February 14th, 2005 and um, Valentine's Day. And, but I still felt like God, I still felt pregnant. It was really, it was really bizarre. And, um, I mean, there's just so many little things. Like, for instance, I had to go get a DNC, and I was just like, "Oh Lord, who?" And they sent me to this um, G- this OBGYN who was a Christian, and he prayed with me before I went into surgery. I mean, how many? I I, I wasn't looking for that, but God just dropped that right there. You know, it's just that little bitty thing. But we adopted our son. Um, he his uh, his parents lived on the streets of Houston. We went through um, a ministry of YWAM. And, um, which kind of came full circle because I grew up as a YWAM kid, you know, and, and YWAM in Houston started an adoption agency, which is little footprints. And then their ministry is based out of in Lindale, Texas, um, where they, um, have a home for girls who get pregnant. They find themselves in the situation and they want help. And so what's really funny is I used to play in the house that this ministry is now located in when I was a little girl, when we lived in East Texas. So all these little things, God just, you know, I'm really big with connections and, um, you know, uh, I'm just big on relationships and God just kept bringing all those relationships back in and in through this terrible time. I mean, when you go through infertility, you're shot up with all kinds of drugs and hormones and, you know, I gained so much weight and cause I was also pregnant and then, you know, and then I get this call to say, Hey, would you like to adopt this baby? And I was like, yes, you know? And so God, and this is after, this is after the, after the miscarriage. So the miscarriage happened in Friday um, in February. And I got the call probably end of May, 1st of June that there's this baby. And I was like, yes, I want the baby. And I didn't even ask like my husband at the time. I didn't care what ethnicity. I just knew when she said those words, it was like, I bonded with that kid. I didn't know if it was a boy or girl. I didn't know if there was drugs. I didn't know what ethnicity. I just knew I was supposed to be that kid's mom beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so, um, because, because it's kind of interesting because in the seventies, my dad and you know, the, and the youth group, they ministered in the Montrose area. Then in the eighties, Doug Stringer. And then we came along, I was, um, well, it was Doug Stringer. And then we came along in the nineties and then in the, and then the two thousands, YWAM was down there. So it's like this full circle of God giving me my son through the very streets where we ministered as a, as a family, you know? 
Yeah. And for those who don't live in Houston, Montrose in that period of time was, you know, where a lot of the homeless and runaways, yeah, runaways. Yeah. So it was that, it was that environment. Yes. And that's where my son came from. And that's my, my parents' first grandkids. So anyways, we go through this. I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus because a break in marriage is just not one-sided. It is two-sided. And I had my issues of not knowing who I was and um, really not, you know, because I forced this Ishmael, you know, I'm in this situation. And so it ended with infidelity and um, I just was like, okay, I'm out. I didn't give it a chance. I just said, I'm out. And I really felt like, you know, after nine and a half years with all of the struggles and other issues that were happening, um, that chapter was over. I, God spoke to me very clearly. I went on this, um, on this ministry outing. It was through, um, a ministry up in Fort Worth. And my cousin said, you've got to go do this. And so I did it. He paid my way. It was a full week and I got away with God. And that was the beginning of remaking who I am. Had a very significant thing happen there. You know, you never thought you'd end up a divorced single mom. Never. Of course, you know, who, who thinks that, no. right? And that brought all those feelings of inadequacy to the forefront again. Oh, yeah. But over time, through this, this journey that you were on with God, he began healing those hurts, giving you a new identity. Um, so take us through a little bit of that journey. You, you started to tell us about the retreat that you went on, but there's, you know, tell us about that and, and the other things that you know, God was really doing in you. I was just really messed up emotionally. Um, I felt raw, you know, um, any of those that are listening today that have gone through a break of that magnitude, it, it literally leaves you broken. Um, went on this ministry. I don't want to call it a retreat because it was so much more. It was just a way of me getting alone with God and with a bunch of other women and God spoke to me. And that was their whole premise is to, is to marry your heart back to God. And I was on this, it was a, it was a day during the week and they sent us all out and said, there's no talking. You're going to fast talking, which freaked me out. <laughs> and you're going to be by yourself and you've got this backpack, no food. Here's water, Gatorade. And when you go to the restroom, here's what you have to do. Dig a hole, you know, the whole thing. And I, that that didn't bother me because I grew up camping and, but what bothered me was nobody around me and no one to talk to. And that created huge anxiety for me, like major, like I felt like the, the, you know, being outside by myself, everything was closing in on me and the Lord was so faithful. I walked out of the home that we were staying in on, on this property with my backpack, ready to not speak for 24 hours, asking God to please be with me. And I'm still, remember, there's still stuff going on at home. I had to put my son in another daycare because there was some CPS stuff issues and all this was going on. And I had no way to contact my family. And my kid was, I left my kid with my parents and he was two. But God showed up and there were these two dogs on the property. And I love animals, dogs mostly. And they stayed with me the entire day. They never left my side not to get, well, I was by a creek when I landed and set out for the day, all my duties. And God just said, see, you're not alone. And they stayed with me. They kept me warm because it was in January. It was cold. So there was one part of, of the uh, day 
that um, it said, put everything down and just go take a walk in nature. And I'm like, okay, I am not a nature tree hugger person. I, I, I love nature. I'm, I think God made it, but I don't get too into it. And I was like, okay, here we go. So I start walking, you know, cause I am obedient, <laughs> start walking. And I realize I'm in this, um, this dried up riverbank. And I looked down at all these rocks and I just was like, okay, God, are you going to show me some rock with some significance? Because the side note is that God did the same thing to my dad. He, my dad went on a walk. He was in a rough time. He stubbed his toe, went down to grab that rock to throw it. God said, look at it. After some arguing, he finally looked at it and there was a hole straight through the rock. And God said, I will make a way where there seems to be in a way. So I'm thinking, oh, what God, you're going to give me a rock, you know, like you're going to speak to me like my dad. And I reached down and get this rock and it's like a square. It's a perfect square. And I was like, well, that's weird. And I was like, okay, God, don't say it's like the four tribes of Judah and you're going to marry somebody that's going to be on this tribe. You know, I was like, I, I don't need to hear that Lord. So I, I was kind of a cynic. So I put it in my pocket, get back to my palate and we're reading and it want, they wanted us to read this one portion of scripture. And I don't like to start in the middle of a chapter. I like to read the whole thing. So I go to the front and it said, unless you go back to square one. And I was like, square one. And immediately God said to me, if you will keep me as like the cornerstone of your life, the cornerstone. And if you're in building, you know that if you don't have a good corner, your building's going to be crooked. And I was like, oh my goodness, Lord. And I, I look up and I see like this big um, uh, strip of film, like if, if you will, big strip of film across the sky. And um, all of the frames of my life, things that I've done, things done to me by people, all my mistakes, all the wrongdoings, everything that the enemy for years had been just using all those details to just pick at me. And I saw God's hand come down and just wipe all of that away. Now, I still had the frames because they were there, but the details of all the pictures and all the things that happened were gone. And I felt like God said, the enemy will no longer use that over your life. This is a new day. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. And it was just amazing. I literally felt that burden lift. I get back home. I go through the divorce. There's more things that happen. And, but God, I still felt like God said, today's a new day. And I still made horrible choices, but God was still with me. You know, as a single mom, as a single woman, you also look to your dad through the years because, you know, it's nice to have a man you can help you with things. But when he died suddenly, it was devastating for you. What happened and, and how did the Lord see you through that time as well? Being a little girl and having a dad, you know, that was known by a lot of people. I mean, every church I went to, everywhere I went, oh, your buddy's daughter. Oh, your buddy Hicks's daughter. Oh, I know your dad. I knew your dad. He was my youth pastor back in, you know, and you you become that identity of, okay, yep, that's my dad and that's who I am. And, and, um, and I, I was just very close to my dad. Very, very close. We, um, you know, one time I was his children's pastor and he and I would go in the back patio of our house and we would call the, you know, call all the visitors that day and together we, we would do it together. And so I was very much with my dad a lot and, um, I had him on a pedestal that was pretty high right up there with God. <laughs> and, um, uh, and I, and I started realizing that I was actually more concerned about what my parents and especially my dad thought than what God thought about me. 
And so that began the journey of taking my dad off that pedestal and keeping God there. And that was very, very difficult because trying to slice through that thin line of he's my dad and he's also more important than God. You know, there was that, there was that thin line and it took, it took some breaking and then God built it up again. But my relationship with my dad went through a season, short season of break breakage, but then it was like a miracle. God brought us back together and he understood dad understood what I was going through. And, um, toward the end of his life, I was, um, I think God was preparing me for when he would be gone because, you know, as a single mom and a single woman, he was like my covering. He was my person, if if you will, called me every day, wanted it, wanting to check up on me. And, um, you know, I didn't feel that loss, that great loss of not having a man in my life because he, he was there you know, as my dad and, um, as an encourager and he prayed for me, I could talk to him about things and we get lost together because we both are horrible with directions and we'd laugh, you know? (laughs) And when he died, it was very, um, it rocked my entire world of who I am because not only did that happen, that was in April of 2017. And then right after that, we had Harvey And, um, God had actually told me to sell the house that I was living in because he wanted me renting because he said, if at at any time I need to move you, I want you to be able to move fast. And if you have a house, you know, there's all these things you got to go through to get it sold. And because when I move you, it's going to be quick. And I thought, okay. And that didn't scare me. God, I trust the Lord. He's brought me through everything, you know? So, um, I moved into this house and then like a month and a half later, Harvey hit and I lost everything from three and a half feet down. Yeah. So uh, flooded your home. You lost, you lost all your furniture. You lost, you know, I mean, gosh, you could keepsakes. You couldn't, you couldn't live in the house. You had to go find a new place to be. There was three and a half feet of water through the whole house. Everything was gutted. Yeah. I mean, you know, for many people, that would have just done them in, especially if you're grieving the loss of your father. But mm. what kept you moving forward? How did you recover from that, Angela? I mean, that's that's a big deal. I think the Lord, in his wisdom, allows us as humans to go through things of that magnitude, especially when we are... Um, when when we call him Savior, when he is truly the Lord of our lives. He is the husband to the... To to the widow. He is the, the father to the fatherless. And, um, I always, my, my dad always made sure that we growing up as kids, we knew that life happens. We don't live in a, you know, we do not live in the garden of Eden. We live in a fallen world and man will fail you every time, but God never will. That was, that was the basis of my relationship with God. God will not fail me. So when you have that that in there, that's part of, you know, I can't get that out of me. That's part of who, it'd be like trying to separate my skin from my hand. I It's part of me, you know? And um, so when I was going through that, I was like, okay, God, I don't know what's going on, but I know you told me to move into this house. So you must have something for me. I'm not going to stress about my things because I know I can't take them with me. 
And I'm just going to trust you, God. I have nothing else. I have literally nothing else but my faith in you. And you are either God or you're not. And I just trusted him. And I remember one day I was driving up to my mom's house and, um, you know how you just kind of, you just get there and you just go, okay. And I'm still in my car, the engine's off. And I was like, God, I don't know how to do this. I said, I feel like I'm literally hanging on by a piece of thread, you know, and I've got, and I, and I see, I'm, I can see things. I I see pictures and stuff. So I see myself ho- holding on to this thread, like out of a, the back of a 747, you know, whatever. And I'm being tossed and turned and I'm about to lose it. And I can't hold on. And, and I felt like God said, you're, you're going to be okay. Cause that's from my garment. And I was like, whoa, it's the, from the hem of your garment. I mean, what, what came through that hem of the garment came healing, restoration, um, significance, because he was around all these people and that woman touched it and immediately she was singled out. So there was, you know, there was the action of being seen as a single person alone. That action of being seen is a huge deal. Cause I felt like I was unseen for so long. I'm just a mom. I'm trying to get, you know, I have to work, put my kid in daycare. That was never the plan. And now all of a sudden God said, that's from the hem of my garment. And I was like, whoa. And I immediately knew what that meant. And I'm thinking, I'm going to speak on that one day. I bet you I will. But I kept that, you know, tucked away and um, just going through life. And I said, God, even if all you have for me is just to be Cole's mom and work where I'm working and to be an influence around me, then that's okay. But God, don't forget when I was, oh, I forgot to say this when in my twenties, I'm, I'm visiting friends, they're youth pastors. I go with them to a youth camp and I'm sitting there with all these teenagers in the room and I was flying for continental and I'm, and I'm sitting there and God said, look down at this, at the speaker. And I looked down at her. She's a well-known um, speaker um, to y- young people. And she said, God said, that's going to be you one day. And I was like, okay, but I better be married when that happens. You know, I mean, I have all these things that I said to God. But anyway, so here I am in the driveway. God said, that's just the him. And I was like, got it, Lord. I got it. You've got me. I'm okay. I may not understand what's going on around me. I may have significant loss but I haven't lost. I just have lost, but I haven't lost. And there's a big difference. Yeah. You know, it is so important in our faith to truly have a revelation of God's love for us and God's faithfulness. Yes. Because if we don't have that revelation, we can be destroyed by little things that happen in our world and, and, and bigger things that happen in our world. We can be confused But when we know, when we are confident of God's love and confident of his faithfulness, then like you, whatever's going on around them, we're like, okay, God, you have me. And I know you're not vindictive. You're not a mean God. You love me. So you have good for me. Your your intentions for me are always good. Yeah. Even if we get caught in terrible situations, like you said, things happen in the world because people choose poorly. Yeah. But God's always good and always faithful. Absolutely. You know, when we are at our weakest, (laughs) we see how strong and faithful God really is. And he has shown himself faithful to you time and time again. Share some of those things over the years that he did to show you that you were not alone. 
in all of life. One of the stories as you were just talking that I don't know if I even shared with you previously, I worked for an oil company, which was a godsend, you know, right before I split, I went back to work. I was really angry about it because I didn't want to go back to work. And um, God gave me this incredible job so that when my marriage fell apart, I was able to sustain myself and I didn't, I wasn't like, it was like now, oh, that's why I had to put my kid back in daycare, you know, again, God, God helping me. But one incident, um, we were going to be going um, public with our company. And the um, basically, we were told you're going to get all this stock and it's going to be worth this much. And you can't have all the money yet, but just, you know, and so I was like, oh, yes. And I was excited. I remember thinking this is going to solve all my problems. I'm going to be able to be, be debt free. I'm going to have this awesome, you know, I'll have all this money and I'll be able to provide stuff for my kid that I, you know, I want to take him to Disney and all, you know, all those things. And so that might've been like on a Thursday on Friday morning, we get told by email, we're not going to be going public. And I was like, oh no. I had all this excitement about having all this money and provision. And I'll never forget, I was, I rode the bus back home from downtown Houston. I'm sitting at the light. I'm now in my car, I'm sitting at the light, trying to go home. And I just was like, man, this, this really stinks, Lord. I, I was so excited. And I heard God say, can you be as excited about your life right now as you were yesterday? Knowing that yesterday you were going to be well, you know, you were going to get rich today, not so much, but can you still be excited about your life? And I was like, Ooh, God, <laughs> okay, Lord, I can still be excited. And then all of a sudden I just began this, the Lord began to share with me, it's still going to happen, but it's going to be better. And it sure enough, it did. Instead of going public, we sold and we got all the money in cash. So that was a preparation for the Lord. Um, you know, having the job before I got divorced was the way the Lord provided for me. Finding the house that I did, um, the cars. Um, I, I've actually given away a car and I'm going to get, I'm, I'm getting ready to give another one away. And that's only because God has given me things. And I'm telling you, I've never lacked for a job. I've never lacked for a meal. I've never lacked for medicine. I mean, it's just crazy. I'm like in, I've got to be one of the richest women in the world for not just, not just monetarily. I mean, I do live from paycheck to paycheck, but cause I don't, you know, I'm not a good saver. I like to spend and yeah. So anyways, on to the next subject, but, um, <laughs> but God has just been so faithful to me. I, I needed a doctor when, when we adopted Cole, I was like, I need a doctor. That's not going to be so heavy on the pharmaceutical side, because I don't really know all of his, you know, his lineage. I don't know anything about his DNA, you know, and God provided a doctor like she was MD, but she also did holistic. And so we just had this incredible plan of bringing health to my son when, as, a, as an infant, because he was premature and he tested positive for cocaine and all that. But never once did I ever falter with, I know I'm called to do this called it, you know, when God calls you, it doesn't matter what comes at you. I'm talking hurricane. I'm talking, you know, death, whatever. If, if God has called you to do something, you can stand on that rock of, of knowing and, and having that knowledge that if God called you, he will take care of you. 
And that's where you got to be careful because a lot of times we'll search the Bible to make sense for our own sin. Oh, I used to do that. Oh, yes, I did. I looked at, oh, this scripture says blah, 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 blah. This must mean I'm supposed to go out with this guy, you know, or, you know, I did that. I did that. I did it. Oh, I did it. Yes, I did. But when you know that, you know, God has called you to do something because it's so bizarre outside of, you know, why would I have sold my house? I was comfortable, but God said, sell it. And I said, okay, Lord. And God took care of all the details and I ended up in this house that I'm actually in right now. And, um, I flooded, I, but I got all my furniture restored back to me, miracle upon miracle upon miracle. And all I can say is God truly is a good God. Even in the hospital when your best friend's husband is dying and you don't understand. And my dad died and I, right in front of us, he had an aneurysm while he was preaching and I actually finished the sermon. Because he told you to, he was still alive at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said, you're, you're, you're going to have to finish. So I grabbed the mic and I'm, you know, then we, you know, that was the last thing my dad said to me was, you're going to have to finish this. And, um, which is kind of significant because it just hit me, you know, the reason why he said my mom and him had kids was that they could, that us, we, us children could do more for the kingdom than, than he could ever do. And so now I feel like after going through all of the things I've gone through and I'm now, my son's 18, I feel like I'm getting to a place where God's going to really use me in a different way than he's already used me. Of course, you mentioned your son, Cole. He was experiencing all of this with you. Uh, you know, how did you, how did you help him as a mom, as a single mom? How did you help him navigate through all of this? Because, oh, you know, teen years are so tumultuous. Yes. Well, when he was little, all I did was just live the life of Christ before him, not only just in my words, but in my life. And that was hard. You know, it's hard. I, I, I didn't really want to date too much in front of him. I didn't a lot because I didn't want him to have a skewed vision of, you know, just why is my mom with all these guys? You know, not that I was with all these guys. I'm just saying I, whenever I dated, if I didn't know that this was it, I didn't bring him around, which meant I didn't bring around a lot of guys to my, <laughs> my kids. And um, I just told him Bible stories and we would act them out. And whenever he would have a situation, I said, well, you know, so-and-so in the Bible, this is what he did when that happened to him or that this is what she did when that happened to her. And just try to make it very like me, just a part of your fabric where there is no um, question of who God is. We have faith in him and we believe in him because he is good. And so those teenage years, though, you know, when you split your time between two parents and no two households are the same. Um, and he had friends that I didn't want him to have. But, you know, I, I was in a situation where he had to go to daycare and he had to go to after school care. And um, I just did all that I could to teach him. And he's going to have to. and stop. I, I am a helicopter mom. I know I am, but I had to, now that he's 18, transition into this whole other mom that has to let her son fail. I don't want you to fail. You know, I know the answer to that. Let me help you. And God's like, uh, -uh, uh, -uh. you know, so just living yeah, the life. That's a, that's a hard phase for all moms yeah, you know, to it watch is. their kids, watch their kids become adults and make, oh. make mistakes that we know they're making yes. right in front yes. of our face. And, yes. and, and, and not say, I told you so. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Well, you know, Cole isn't the only one who's benefited from the truths that you have to share, the things that you've learned in your life. God's opened some other doors for you to speak and not the grand ones that, you know, you're anticipating one day, (laughs) but little ones, little opportunities to speak truth and encouragement in the lives of others. Share about a few of those because, you know, we don't just step out onto a stage one day and all of a sudden, ta-da, we know what to say and minister. God provides opportunities along the way for us to learn his ways and share them in small settings. and, And he sees if we're faithful. Exactly. You know, I always say, well, I say to myself, you've been called to this thing, but don't have such, don't you put, try to put walls and carpet and window fixings on your, on your calling. Let the Lord do that. So in other words, if it doesn't look like what I thought it would look like, then it's not really okay. Well, this is not really, you know, that big of a deal, but really anytime you have a, uh, a chance to touch somebody's life, we we really don't know what all will happen, you know, and, and some of the places that I've been able to serve is in my current church with the youth. Uh, I was asked to, because of my background with inner city um, ministry in my, in my twenties, um, I was asked to reach uh, every year. Our church has this um, day of serving, and one of their ministries that they work with are, is this place where it's a stopover between being in the system, um, the foster care system, and being with the family. Sometimes there's a gap, and so this nonprofit, um, it's not a Christian, but a lot of Christians do work for them, and. Um, they asked me, my church asked me, would you head up this initiative? And I was like, well, what all does it mean? And now up to this point, I have not done a lot of ministering at all. Like I maybe have prayed with some people, but not really had a time to really speak. And um, I said, okay, I'll do it. I felt like God said, yes, this is time for you to do this. And basically these kids came into our church. We loved on them. We gave them pizza, had games. And then we had a time of talking and I shared on identity and um, God told me to talk about that. And it was just so powerful. And the next Sunday, and and I don't know where these kids will end up, you know, and I prayed over them, you know, I I wish I could have taken them home with me. But the next Sunday, one of the adults that were in, that were some of the helpers, they, he came up to me and he said, you know, that, that message you spoke was not just for the kids. There were people in that room that needed to hear what you said. And I was like, oh, okay, well, thanks. You know, I mean, I didn't, it's hard to say, you know, you you don't want to be false and go, oh, it was all God. Cause I mean, we have, it was our choice to say, okay. I've been able to do that. I've um, prayed with some youth in because um, I work with the youth and I was over, we had a uh, our youth conference, camp type conference, and I had a time of just sharing to these kids that, you know, they live in this world of, they have so many choices for them and they shouldn't have that many choices because back when we grew up, there weren't that many choices. And now there's just this whole plethora of of things they have to decide and choose. And, and, um, so I was just, you know, I had the opportunity to minister to them and wanting them to know that not everything that happens in their life came from God. And that's such a huge, I mean, to to me, it's no big, I mean, that's a no brainer, but to to some, they have no clue. They have no clue that how, how good God is. 
So a new exciting door is uh, opening up for you. Yes. One that one that really fits perfectly with who God created you to be. And um, tell us about what you're going to be doing. So I still work in the, um, if you want to say the secular realm and not the church world, but um, I am an executive assistant and I've really, you know, back when God said to sell your house, this was six or seven years ago, sell your house because I want you on a launch pad. And so I've been in this launch pad waiting and waiting and waiting for God to move me. And all of a sudden God is moving me. I've had this crazy dream of wanting to live in an RV and not just a camper. I don't want to live in a camper. I want to live in a nice RV. So I've like this RV is nicer than my house and I live in a pretty nice house <laughs> and uh, I'm just so excited. I'm going to be working for my cousin, um, just being his personal assistant, helping out his wife because he is the owner of his company and he's never had an executive assistant. So I'm going to be working for them and traveling, which I love and meeting new people. We've even talked about with the different RV parks that we go into having a Bible study. And I'm excited about that and just seeing what God, where, what doors God, God opens up in the big world, you know, world. And I'm going to uh, Florida first and then we head to Alaska, which I'm very excited about. And I'll live there for half of the year and other half the year in an RV traveling. And so I'm very excited. I don't know what God has in store, but I feel like it's definitely a new season. That just fits who you are. Not everybody would uh, dream of living in an RV for for a time, but you know, for, for you, that's something that you grew <laughs> up camping and it's, it's a, it's a delight to you. And God knows that yeah. God knows the delights of our heart. And he, you know, in, um, verse in Isaiah, I believe it is in Isaiah, it says he directs the steps of the righteous and delights in every detail of their lives. Yes. Angela, as you look back over your life, is there a key truth that you want others to know and experience through the ups and the downs? I wrote it down this morning. And if I could say it in one phrase, I would say what looks like rejection is oftentimes protection. What looks like an unanswered prayer, I didn't get the scholarship, I'm not going to get that job, that marriage fell apart, my car broke down, what's happening, God's moving me here, what I, you know, what looks like rejection in your life can all, always be an opportunity for God to protect you. And so if you look at it through that lens, oh my goodness, it frees you up of of having to be negative and having to be on guard like that, that, that fight or flight, you know, God doesn't want us to live like that. He literally says, cast your burden on me. And I know I've heard that a gazillion times. I've been in a music, uh, a musical in our church when, when I was a kid about, you know, not carrying the backpack of all your, of all your sin and all your stuff on your shoulders Give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. Give it, and it's so easy. It's like a little, you know, oh, give it to the Lord because God's great. But yet here I am in my life and I'm drowning in quicksand and, you know, getting down into the guts of it. Yes, God is down there with you in the guts of it. And don't always look negatively about a mishap in your life. Think, okay, Lord, what did you, what did you protect me from? What could have happened? You know? It's always like I should have made that light. Well, what, well, what, what would have happened if you made that light? Could there have been? And I'm not saying you look around for every corner for oh, what's happening. You know, it just frees you up to not 
think of missed ideas like that fear of missing out the fear of um, not being relevant. Cause I mean, I'm 55 now I'm still single and am I still relevant? Um, am, am I still, um, do I still have something to say? Have I missed my opportunity? Have I missed out? And I just feel like God said no, because God's way of preparing us for what he has us to do. I call it God's university is so backwards from the way the world does it. The world Man, you get a scholarship, you're on your social media, the parents are taking pictures, you get the scholarship, you're in the news, you're doing this, you make good grades, you graduate, woo, you get the job, you're on the plaque, you know, of the thing. And that's the way that's the way man does it. But God, when he wants to get us ready for what he has for us to do in life, he takes you to the wilderness and you're by yourself. And you're like, whoa, what's going on? What happened to my, I want my picture in the, you know, no, you're by yourself and you're not, and you're not posting a lot on social media because your life doesn't look that great, you know, because you're in the wilderness, but God in his mercy and all knowingness and his kindness, thank you, Lord. He doesn't answer always. He doesn't always answer our prayers the way we think we should, because his ways are higher than ours. And thank goodness for that. But Just remember that when God takes you into the wilderness, he doesn't leave you there. He doesn't leave you there. He didn't leave God. He didn't leave his own son there. He didn't leave the prophets there when when he took them out and all the men in the Bible, the women in the Bible, they even Jesus had their time of isolation. And it's in those times. And I could preach a whole thing on that. Oh, my goodness. But God gets rid of all of our distractions of who we think we are. And there was a time that I was into People Magazine. God said, do not read that anymore because you're comparing your life to them and you're coming up short and your life isn't short. Your life is full. And if you keep seeing what's happening in Hollywood or in Nashville or on instant, you know, on all your Instas and your Facebook and seeing everybody else's life, you're going to feel, you're going to come up. I missed out. I'm not relevant anymore. But no, that's God protecting you and he's getting you ready. Yeah, that's a good word because we, all the social media stuff is fake anyway. You know, a lot. Oh, yeah. of, I mean, you, you hear often of uh, big stars that look like they have it all together, end up with massive addictions, multiple divorces, you know, they're not happy in life and um, you know, it's all veneer, but with God, in the midst of our de- desert, he doesn't leave us. He's always with us. We can feel alone until we turn and see him. And then we know yes. we've never been alone. Uh, Angela, as we close, share about a woman of the Bible who's inspired or encouraged or taught you something. Well, there's so many. Um, but the when, when I asked God, God, who is it that you want me to talk about today? I felt like God said, Hannah. In, in the book of Samuel, you know, she was one of the, one of two wives of this guy, um, which right, that right there in itself, I mean, talk about feeling insecure. He has two wives in which, you know, you have this battle for his attention and all this. I, I can't even imagine. But anyways, just being one wife is hard, <laughs> but he was one of two wives and she was barren and she, um, Back in her day, you know, children were a clear sign of God's blessing. So here she is, no children. 
the other wife is hackling her and making fun of her and ridiculing her. So daily she has this, God's not blessing me. I'm a failure. I mean, that's all she's hearing from her surroundings. And now her husband really loves her. And, but his love is not big enough to solve this problem. And that's so true in marriage. You know, you may love that person, but it's not going to solve the problem. And, um, they would take these, um, yearly pilgrimages to this town called Shiloh and they would offer sacrifices. And when she was there one time, she was in such distress that the, uh, I think it was Eli. He said, I think she's drunk because she is not even like she's, She's kind of mumbling and she's saying all these prayers, but she was in such grief because she did not have a child and she wanted to be, um, she wanted God's blessing on her life and she wanted to be seen as being blessed. And, um, Eli heard this vow she made and, um, he said, are, are you drunk? And she's like, no, no, here's what's, here's the deal, dude. I mean, this is my interpretation. I am barren. I want God's blessing. I so want a child. I love my husband and I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. And God heard that her husband was kind enough to let her do what she had vowed and his faithfulness in the Lord allowed her to be faithful because I mean, he could have at any time said, Nope, you're not doing that. Cause back then a woman was his property, but she finally had a son, his firstborn son from her. And she follows through with her vow saying, if you give me a son, I'll give it back to you. And sure enough, she did this. And God not only blessed her with that, but gave her three more sons and two more daughters. This kid, this promised child, he went on to be, you know, the, the, the big voice in Saul's life and in David's life. He anointed them both king. And um, she literally was in the, could have been in the dumps, you know, she could have raised her fist up and said, God, why have you done this to me? And instead she said, God, if you bless me, here's what I will do. Her whole perspective was changed. She did not, um, you know, we don't hear a lot about her daily life, but I mean, I'm here picture, you know, women back there were, were a piece of property and they did a lot of work and they kept the home and they made the food and all these things. And she never once raised her fist that I know of to God and said, God, you know, I'm sure she at times said, where are you, Lord? Here I am. What's going on, God? But when she had her time to be in the temple, she said, God, if you give me this, I will give him back to you. I will bless you, praise you, all this. And God, and, and God does it for her. And that is like so incredible to me to say, I need to change my perspective. I'm not going to be down in the dumps. And the Lord reminded me of something. And I believe there's some women and men out there today that are, you're in a, I just really feel like you're literally in a corner. You don't see anything but the wallpaper in front of you. And you don't know how it's going to work out. Like there's literally no door there's no window. You're in a corner. And this is what I wanted to read. If it's okay, if I could read this scripture. It comes from Lamentations and I'm going to read it out of the message Bible. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. And it said, he ground my face into the gravel. He pounded me into the mud. 
I gave up on life altogether. I don't know about you, but I have definitely felt like I've been ground, you know, I've been grounded into the mud and felt like I was in the gravel. And it said, I've forgotten what the good life is like. And I said to myself, that's it. I'm finished. God is a lost cause. I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how I remember it well. The feeling of hitting bottom. But there is one thing I remember and I keep remembering. I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love could not have run out and his merciful love could not have dried up. They are created new every morning. How great is your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God and I'll say it over and over. He's all I've got left. God proves to be good to the man who patiently waits or excuse me, passionately waits and to the woman who diligently seeks. It is a good thing to quietly hope, quietly hope for help from God. It's a good thing when you're young to stick it out through the hard times, when life is heavy and it's hard to go on and you enter the silence, bow in prayer. Don't ask the questions. Wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble. Take it full face. The worst is never the worst. And here's the key. Why? Because God's stockpiles of love, his loyal love, are immense. He takes no pleasure in making life hard and throwing roadblocks in the way. And I really believe today that there is someone out there that is saying, I literally am at the end of the end. My face is pounded into the gravel. I'm covered in mud. I don't know what I'm going to do. That's it. I'm finished. It's a lost cause. And here's what you need to remember. If you feel like you're at the bottom, you're never really at the bottom. (laughs) You're never really there because God's loyal love never forgets. He never runs out of love. He is there with you. And when you, and when you can take off your glasses of hopelessness and put the glasses of hope on, you will then see, you know, like back in the day when you wore the special glasses and you could see the hidden words, you know, in what you were reading. And it was like this, 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 uh, game of clue or whatever. And you put the special glasses on, you can see, oh, that's the next clue. When we put on the glasses of hope and we take out the world out of our ears and we, and we get in God's presence, he will meet us. He always provides a way out. And it is crazy how he does it. I'm like, how did you know that God? How did, okay. Yeah, you are God. You're right. But we should not run from trouble. We should just, okay, God, You've led me here or my, my circumstances have led me here. I made horrible choices. Here I am. I'm homeless or I just lost my job or whatever, wherever you are in life. Hold on to hope. God is still God. He still sees you. He's still interested in you. He still has a plan for you. You haven't blown it. There's some denominations and religions that say, once you blow the plan, that's it. You're now a second class citizen. You you can go serve in the nursery, but you're done. You have no life left. And that's so baloney because God gives us new things and his mercies are new every morning, which means he creates new every morning. And you're not done. You're not lost. You're not at the bottom. God is there. You know, Ephesians 1 verses 7 and 8 in the New Living Translation explains, God is so rich in kindness and in grace Mm. that he purchased our freedom with the blood of Jesus and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. 
Dear listener, if you have believed that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessed Jesus is Lord, then you are free to be all God created you to be. You're free from the bondage of sin. And when you repent of past mistakes, you're free from those. Like Angela, God wipes them out. Satan can't hound you with him again. Don't get entangled once again in bondage to your past mistakes. Repent of them for sure. (laughs) Don't just say, okay, God, here I am. Take me as I am. Repent, turn and do what is right in his sight. And don't get entangled by the bondages of the past. Angela, would you take a moment and pray for our uh, listeners? And you know, another thing when you were saying that, it's all about your heart posture and where your heart, what your heart motive is. And God sees that and he does not give up on us. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity for us to come together in this in this way of sharing with one another. God, you are so good and you are so amazing. And, and God, I don't want to ever take you for granted. And Lord, I know there's people out there listening right now that feel like, especially during this time of year, they, they just feel like they are alone and they have nothing. And they, and they look around and see everyone else having this glorious life and they feel lacking and they feel like you get that, that you've given up on them. Lord, I pray today that they would have the courage to take off the glasses of hopelessness and take off the glasses of judgment and take off the glasses of of feeling inadequate. And um, God, that we would put on your glasses that say, there is a, there's always a way out. God, you are the God of the fatherless. You are the husband to the, to the, to the widow. Lord, you are with us. God, you have never left us. You invested so much. You paid such a heavy price for us to be in right relationship with you. You don't want anything to be coming in between us. Lord, that's why you sent your son, Jesus, because you did not want anything to be in between me and you us and you. And God, I pray for those that are, that are lonely, that are um, feeling anxiety and depression and all of the things that the enemy tries to, to throw at us, inadequacies. And I don't know how I'm going to make it. God, I pray today for those individuals right now, that they would just reach up and touch the hem of your garment. Lord, let them have the faith and know that you were either God or you're not. Lord, and if they have to even just take on my story and say, you did it for her, God, I know you can do it for me. And Lord, and I've done that for, for many years. I've said, you've done it this way. God, and I know you can do it again. And Lord, um, you are a, such a creative God and you cr- can create new things for us. And just because we blow it, our life is not over. There is so much more living to do. And God, you, you desire a relationship and a friendship with us. And God, today, I ask that you would reach down and let them feel the hug. Let them feel the warmth of your presence, Lord. Give them strategic ideas on how to get out of the mess that they're in. God, bring people into their lives that can minister to them and to be um, a, a, a voice of um of hope and um, God that you're around the corner. You're going to, you've already gone before us, Lord, you're there. You see us, you walk with us and God, when we blow it, you don't just flick us off like a flea, but God, you are like the dad who waited for the son to return. You run out and meet us and you, and you, you hug us, God, no matter what we look like. And you say, I love you. It's going to be okay. Lord, help us to have the courage to be obedient to what you say 
and what you want us to do, Lord. And let us never forget, God, the great sacrifice that you made for us, Lord. And in you, we have hope and we have a future, Lord. And I thank you, God, for just leading me through these years and never letting me go and never... And never feel I never felt like I didn't have like that um that safety net below me, God. I and even though sometimes I felt it was all like about to fall apart, God, you still held me and I thank you for that. Lord, and let my story be an encouragement to someone today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in. In our show notes at hergodstory.org, you will find scriptures and other information we talked about. And don't forget to sign up for our emails, and then you'll get a six-week devotional on women of the Bible that you can download for free. Or you may want to purchase a 12-week devotional that we'll send to you for just $12, and you'll know that all the proceeds will go to our Widow and Orphan Fund. And if you'd like to join our growing company of women helping widows and orphans, just click on the Widow and Orphan tab at the top of the HerGodStory.org page, and together we can do so much. We'd love to pray with you on our 24-7 prayer and text line. Give us a call anytime at 855-459-CARE or email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. And now, dear friends, I bless you with Romans fifteen twelve. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.